Come in, ocean sailor. Come in, ocean sailor. The Ocean Sailor Podcast. Brought to you by Ocean Sailor Magazine and Kraken Yachts. Well, hello and welcome to Ocean Sailor Podcast, uh, episode 13, no less. Uh, an unlucky number, but certainly not an unlucky podcast, I'm sure. Uh, with me, anyway, Dick Durham, and across across the road, or down the road a piece, is Dick Beaumont. Good morning to you, Dick. Yeah, hi, Dick. Yeah, everything good? Yeah, fine. I tell you what, I did like our new signature tune. Um, I'm a bit of a sucker for the fiddle, and it was uh, a real shanty-esque type of music, you know. I can imagine us hauling on the main brace, not yeah. the course. I I really I really liked it. That's that's well done, Tristan, for it that is one. Good, it's isn't uh, it? yeah. yeah, diddly 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 music. It was. All good. Yeah, brilliant. Not that the Solent rig has a main brace, but we never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very good. I did like it. Uh, it got me in the mood for the sailing season. So excellent stuff. Let's hope the uh, listeners like it as well, as much as we do. It'd be good to get some feedback on that. Tell us what you think. Any good ideas uh, will be gratefully ignored. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk today to Brian Troutman of Delos, the sailing yacht Delos. I'm really looking forward to this one, Dick. It should be quite an interesting Well, it one. should be. A mind-boggler. I, I think so. It's, it's with, of course, Brian Troutman, who has appeared in the magazine previously, Ocean Sailor magazine, uh, on his yacht Delos and the adventures he's had with her. But this is a bit different <clears throat> because, excuse me, goes into crew troubles and, and the psychology of crew to some extent, the, the fear the incompetence, the skullduggery, but also the wonder, the bonding and the heroism of crew, Dick, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's this is a fascinating subject uh, for me and we've kind of kept it back a little bit because uh, we knew Brian uh, said that he'd like to come on uh, the podcast, bit of a feather in our cap. Delos is uh, right up there with the big boys when it comes to uh, YouTube channels. I think he's got 770,000 subscribers. Um, and so, yeah, we I, w- I wanted us to k- catch that back, keep that one back, because it's an intriguing subject, and there's so many interesting things that come out. And and uh, as we talked, Dick, before uh, we we started to go on air, you know, I think it's a theme we should follow because there's some fabulous stories out. There's some amazing. There's stories. no question of that everyone has got a great story about about what happens in in, in the sort of mind. Uh, when you're at sea we've all got them ourselves and everyone we speak to have got them so yes you're right it's something it's a recurring theme isn't it yeah it is you know and uh and uh w- one of the things we want to do is uh is interview um or bring on the podcast i should say uh david wilkinson who uh you've interviewed before again for ocean sailor magazine yes. um and <laughs> if we want to get into the real heavy psychology David's the guy to talk when he did the the reenactment of the of the Bly uh, voyage, um, three and a half thousand miles in an open whaler. Uh, uh, absolutely, it's pretty astonishing. It's, so there's lots to look forward to, and got to uh, be the epitome, isn't it, of, of the of the very subject? So yes, I'm looking forward to that one. You know, so I think uh, without more ado, Dick, let's uh, let's bring Brian on and and hear his great stories. He's had a lot more crew, I think, than I've had. Although I've had my fair share of uh, interesting incidents. Uh, but, uh, yeah, hopefully Brian's going to have some really good stories to tell us. So, uh, yeah, bring him Let's, in, Dick. Well, she'll look forward to that. I think I've got it in my mind for some reason. He's got 50. He's had 50 different crew over the years. So, anyway, I'm sure he'll tell us. So, yes, please, Brian, come in. Uh, okay, so welcome, uh, uh, Brian Troutman, to the Ocean Sailor podcast. I'm very much looking forward to hearing your stories about being in the psychiatrist's cockpit, uh, <laughs> along with uh, along with Dick Beaumont, of course. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks very much, Brian. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, I think it's uh, we've we've kept a a, a particular subject uh, on the back burner for some time, which is the psychology of sailing across oceans with crew. Um, and uh, I'm pretty damn sure that you're going to have some great input into that, and I think we're in for a, an interesting uh, uh, little story or two. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for having me today, guys. Uh, yeah, I think I've got a few uh, interesting stories. 
we've had a few crew on board, some mishaps, some good times. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a cool subject to talk about. It seems to me, having spoken at some length to both of you over the past, that uh, uh, you can't read a book by its cover. We all know that. But somehow the ocean is the sort of greatest casting couch that there is. You'd agree with that, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're touching on something that uh, I've mentioned to you before which is what I call the midnight confessional. Um, I don't know if you recognise this, Brian. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it seems to me when you're sailing along under a perfect sky, I mean, when there's, when there's too much action and there's too much wind and everybody's a bit stressed or, or trying to pretend they're not, um, it, it seems to me that it, it doesn't occur. But when it's a really, really nice night, uh, there's a clear sky and you can see the whole firmament, you sit there, um, you know, doing perhaps a watch changeover, and suddenly you wind, you, you feel like a Catholic priest sitting in the confessional. And uh, I, this has happened to me dozens and dozens of times. Suddenly people have started telling me about their previous faux pas, previous kind of life experiences. I, I mean, I once, had, <laughs> I once had a crew sailing with me, and her husband was on the boat, this is, I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but her husband was on the boat as crew as well. And, you know, we, we were sitting there and she's brought up a nice cup of coffee and we're looking up and it's, oh, isn't this so wonderful? And she suddenly tells me, you know, oh, you know, when you see things like this, it makes you want to, you know, you know, expose your soul. I thought, <laughs> hmm, okay, where's this going? And she said, oh, yeah, no, because... Uh, you know, nobody really knows this amongst my current bunch of uh, people that I know, but I used to be a prostitute. Oh, good grief. <laughs> it's honest to God, true. And she said, oh, yeah, she said, uh, I won't name his name, X, um, uh, it doesn't know. And, uh, you know, I've, I've often thought back of that good and I grief. thought, oh, God, oh, God, where are we going to go from here? Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was as much as I could do to shut her up. I got off watch a bit quick, I might tell you. Did uh, he find out? No, I catched oh. him and I told her. <laughs> we then moved into the next bit, which I, another one, guarantee you've had dozens of times, uh, Brian, is, um, you know, is there a God? And looking up, and she moved into that next. And so I thought, oh, you know, here we go. And, you know, she's looking up at the firmament and, it's a big story that comes up, doesn't it? Well, the yeah, I mean, I like to think about the ocean as kind of the great equalizer in that, you know, I, I think alcohol is another great equalizer in that when, when people drink, they all sort of like blend together. But, you know, the ocean doesn't care about who you are or your experience level or your race or ethnicity or color of your skin or language you speak. The ocean treats everybody the same. And I think because of that, it, it kind of allows people to to be themselves and, uh, and just speak freely and open their minds. And uh, it's, it's kind of a, a cool situation. And we've always said like, you know, what, what happens at sea kind of, kind of stays to sea, just like, you know, you'd make a crazy trip to Vegas, <laughs> you know, ex exposing yourself. Um, I've got kind of an interesting story uh, about, uh, cause we're talking about crew and the implications of psychology and crew dynamics and these sorts of things. And, mm. you know, a, a number of years ago we were in Auckland, New Zealand, and we had uh, stopped because we ran out of money. And so I was doing day work as an engineer on super yachts. And so I was working in Auckland because it's like a super yacht base for the cyclone season, working alongside a guy. I'm definitely not going to mention his name just in the case that he's listening. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, we were working. We were getting along well. He was a good worker, a solid guy. And he wanted to get his yacht master uh, because he wanted to work professionally on boats as a skipper. And he said, hey, the only thing I need to do to get my yacht master is to do like a thousand mile sail and do my celestial sightings. And I said, OK, that's cool. We're actually sailing from New Zealand to Fiji uh, in about two weeks. You can join us. You can be crew. It'll be good experience for, for you. It'll be a win win for everybody. And so we're sitting uh, in the marina uh, in Auckland getting ready to set out. And I decide I'm going to take the crew out for uh, dinner. We're going to go get Chinese, have one last dinner out before we're all stuck on a boat together for like, you know, seven to 10 days. I'm sitting up at the counter, ordering the food for everybody. I turn around and I see my new crew 
outside of the window. It's like a Chinese restaurant with tables, big glass windows outside. And he's dropped his pants down to his knees and he's literally pressing himself up against the glass window, just having a great fun time of it. And I'm thinking, well, you know, what the heck is going on? I'm about to get on a boat with this guy. What's this? Immediately, the owner sees this and, of course, starts calling the police, as you would do when somebody exposes themselves in your Chinese restaurant. I leave. You know, I'm like, okay, I don't want any part of this. When the police show up, I go to the boat. But the police come. They take that, him that, to the police that, station. That New Zealand to Fiji sail. <laughs> yeah, that they, New Zealand to Fiji sail is a seven-day trip or so, exactly. isn't it? <laughs> and I'm going to be That's stuck in sea with this be guy. up with a... Yeah, um, brilliant. So, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there in the afternoon. Uh, we've gotten our takeout, and then the police come up to the boat, and they say, okay, do you know this person? I say, yes, I know this person. Is he a crew on your boat? I say, yes, he's crew on the boat. And they say, okay, uh, we're going to ask him to leave the country since he's crew on your boat and he's signed on. He's your responsibility, and we're releasing him under your, your cognizance, and now you have to sail with him out of the country. Um, which is quite an interesting oh position God. to be in because You're now lumbered. I was, I was, it was legally out of my hands and I was, I was literally required by customs and immigration border control to, to get him out of the country. Um, that was, that was one of the interesting things. We, we did end up sailing, uh, with him to Fiji. Um, he actually was, was kind of a sort of a guy that could not just touch the rum bottle. When he touched the rum bottle, the rum bottle would be gone. Uh, and so that, that, you know, that made us a dry boat. We're normally a dry boat at sea, uh, but that made us a dry boat, you know, even before we left on the trip. And then when we got to Fiji, where we, we promptly uh, dropped him off at the nearest backpackers resort and, and shook hands and sent him on his way. Uh, it turns out he did get his yacht master and he, uh, he sent me a message a few years later. And he was uh, a skipper on a, uh, a rather large boat, like a 22 meter catamaran professionally for a number of years and straightened himself out and made a, made a great success of himself. So you got, you got, you kind of got to be careful about who you, who you go to sea with. Um, yeah. And the dynamics. Well, don't you? And I mean, you, you're dead, right. The alcohol thing, alcohol, no alcohol, dry ship, no dry ship, I think is a really big issue for skippers. Um, and I, the problems I've had, revolve around uh, issues with friends uh, as well as, you know, I think friends are even more difficult to deal with. And I, I, I'll hold my hands up. I don't like to run a dead dry ship at sea. Um, but uh, the problem I think that exists is that everybody's got a different idea of what's a reasonable amount of alcohol. And you also yeah. run into the situation that you just said with some people just have to have one and then can't stop. You know, we like to have a sundowner um, and, you know, a beer with dinner. Generally, we try and make that a communal kind of time rather than everybody just having their time, having their food individually. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult, <laughs> to pardon the pun, it's a difficult route to navigate. And, and, uh, you know, what I've done in the end, and I've gone down exactly that route you just said, saying, okay, it's going to have uh, no other choice, it's got to be a dry ship. That's not really entirely fair on everybody, and I've still had to resort to that, even with what I then brought in as a rule, is uh, a maximum of two uh, drinks in any one off-watch time and no alcohol within a four-hour period of a watch. And that, that's worked quite well, but I've still had people hiding bottles of vodka under their pillars and, and stuff like that. And, of course, you know, if somebody's going to tell you lies, and unfortunately when people are involved in drugs and alcohol in a serious sense, they do tend to <laughs> embellish the truth at the very best. Yeah, um, it is a difficult one, and then you've got no choice, have you? As the no. as the skipper, you've got no choice to just resort to a dry ship. In 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 Brian's case, I mean, the guy revealed his if it's we use the word flaw <laughs> uh, before you even 
set off. So this wasn't psychology. This wasn't the ocean reducing crew down to the common denominator that you discovered to your much to your horror at sea. He'd already revealed it, but because he was on your boat, you were obliged to take him. So that's a bit bit tricky, I suppose. Did he cause you more problems after he mooned? Yeah, as we call yeah. It we here? were uh, right after we left Auckland. We sailed up to. Uh, uh, the Bay of Islands, which is kind of like the north part of New Zealand, mm. and that's typically where you wait for weather yeah. before heading to Fiji. And there's a big low that came through, and we were on the hook for I think it was three or four days with you know 35 to 40 knots of wind. So at the anchor, wow. not able to get off, just waiting for weather. And I woke up to a commotion at like two two thirty in the morning of him literally running around deck like a madman uh after drinking a, a bottle of rum and i was like well you know that's that's dangerous for you yeah. it's dangerous for me because i'm responsible and you could fall over blowing 35 knots you're gonna nobody's ever gonna hear from you again and then we sort of had to like talk as a crew about it and say hey guys look this is the deal for the next you know x number of weeks we're it's just going to be a dry boat because of this issue and you know since then it, it kind right. of changed our policy a little bit because we kind of had this this idea that we would just meet people, they would come on board. But now there's sort of a vetting process and we'll tend to have like a little party when people first arrive and uh, we'll we'll just watch people because it's it's quite easy to tell when people are yeah, kind of yeah. they can consume yeah, and they yeah, can yeah, consume responsibly right. versus somebody yeah. that's just pounding drink after drink after drink and that's that's kind of a real tell. Right. Uh, it's if, a clue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, if you just meet them and they're and they're getting super wasted then you can kind of be like, okay, this this is going to be an issue. No. <laughs> just just interrupt there, Brian. It, what's amu- what's amused me as you're telling me that story, or telling us and all the listeners that story, is that you preface that by saying you wouldn't mention his name. I think there's very little chance whoever's listening to that won't recognise themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> How many people have gone and stuck their backside on the Chinese window? <laughs> I hope it was his backside. To, to, to make matters, it was his front side. That, that, was, oh, the, right. that was the worst part of it. Oh, no. Yeah, right, pressed right so up against like, the glass. He wasn't even mooning then. The old Franken-beans. <laughs> mooning, so. I suppose. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, God. Do you know, you know something? It must be that New Zealand to Fiji run because I went the other way around. On, well, I went back and forth. But I, I did a run from Fiji uh, to... Uh, New Zealand, and I, I had a, a really good crew. Um, it'd been with me for some time, but he had that same trigger that you're talking about, um, which we had warned and uh, and stayed away from at sea, which was one drink and and drink to oblivion, and and he did that. Um, we were leaving uh, and got a good forecast, but there was just he and I, so it's going to be a hard trip, you know, three hours on, three hours off. It's going to be a hard trip. And um, and I said to him, listen, X, uh, whatever you do, you know, I know you're, just, you're going to say cheerio to so-and-so and so-and-so, but just as a favour, absolutely don't get blasted, eh? Because we, we, this is heavy. We got, and, it's, and there was a fair bit of weather to, to expect to come as well. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, he came back. And the next thing I heard was one o'clock in the morning, he's going through the alcohol cabinet on uh, on the boat at the time was Moonshadow and they're crashing and banging and he's you know he's barely standing up of course you know it was me that suffered for the following he suffered a fair bit <laughs> it was me that suffered for the following 24 hours while he was straightening himself out yeah but, that uh, is, yeah no it's you know it, this is all part of and the point is I think that whilst all of these things happen on the land as well the point and the interest that I've got is they all become so dreadfully under the spotlight and first person, in the first person, everybody's, you can't hide from it when you're on a small sailing boat, can you, Brian? You know, There's no secrets you, you, at sea. If somebody's got the shits, everybody knows about it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Dick, I know that you've mentioned before that which I always struck me as quite a good idea before you're setting off with a with a new crew unknown to you and perhaps some of them are inexperienced as well. You just go off from whichever port you're in to somewhere quite nearby and have an anchorage. You only maybe half an just an hour or two, 
and anchor off and have that first night there to get everybody sort of, so to speak, bedded down before you set off on yeah, a Yeah, I do. I mean, passage. yeah, it's, it's not to necessarily suss out the nutters and the incompatible uh, crew, but it, it does... <laughs> It does give you a heads up, but I'd do that, uh, Brian, more uh, to establish uh, or try and help people uh, deal with the first round of seasickness that a lot of people oh, right. do get. Um, I I do it because I I believe that you know, and I, I generally I'll do a, a two hour run or something like that, three hour run, and then anchor up, have a meal on board, get to know each other without being under the rigors of sailing. And then give them a night for their heads to sort themselves out, you know. Um, and, and I think that does really help. But as you say, as you, I have on long time ago. I have on one occasion when I did that, thought this is, you know, this person's not the person that I thought they were, and made the hard decision to tell them it wasn't going to work out. I mean, and that's the bit, I guess that. You know, talking about the psychology that affects skippers. I think people are not generally prepared for the position that a skipper has and the decision he's got to take. Do you do you think so, Brian? Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And we we do the same thing. So, you know, the one we we do like uh, like a first night on the hook, we call it. So we get off the dock, we let people unplug, get used to the motion of the boat being a little bit more quiet mm. and then, you know, we're, maybe we're waiting for weather, weather, maybe we're just waiting, but I, I think that's a fantastic tactic in general. Um, to the mm. other point, I'm thinking about uh, something that, that also recently happened. And I actually wasn't on board because I left Delos for a period of six months when we went back to have our, uh, our daughter, Sierra. So we, I went to Sweden and Brady uh, continued across the Atlantic and he decided to uh, take some crew on. Uh, a really nice guy that we'd met uh, somewhere in the Caribbean, fantastic, like got along well, very active, like really wanted to have a uh, a career working in, in like the marine industry, like professionally on boats. Uh, so we actually uh, bought him a ticket. We flew him over to uh, uh, Europe. Uh, he got on board Delos. Uh, Brady was the skipper at this time. And then uh, about 72 hours before their, their weather window is coming, they're supposed to, to depart. Brady gives me a call in Sweden. He's like, Brian, I'm, I'm having problems uh, with this person. You know, he, I think he might be bipolar. I think he might actually have some mental issues mm -hmm. because one day he's really up. The next day he's really down. Uh, he'll lash out at the crew, particularly the women on board bossing them around when he's like the new the new guy here and you know i i'm thinking about asking him to leave and you know what do you think about that and i said brother look you're about to go on like you know from the canaries to the caribbean is it's a significant sail it's like a three thousand something odd mile sail do you really mm. want to be dealing with that dynamic yeah, yeah. on board uh you have other crew if you even have any doubt in your mind that this could be a disaster, then we should just buy him a ticket and fly him home. Uh, yeah. And that's what we did. So it was sad because yeah. I know he was disappointed. Everybody was disappointed, but I still do think it was for the best, for sure. It never gets better, you know. <laughs> it, it never gets better. If, if somebody's difficult on shore, it gets often a lot worse, even with people that you think are all right. And then actually go to sea, and this is you know uh, back to the profound experience that people have of of suddenly being a, you know sailing across an ocean and and then things do change in people that start out being or seeming uh, quite capable and excellent and rounded people, but let alone going off with a wild card i I really yeah, I really agree with that. You know, I mean, I think, you know, this t this touches on the point that uh, I wanted to bring up, and I guess we have now covered, which is that the skipper's chair is quite a lonely one because it can't be a democracy, can it? Um, no. And at the same time, you don't want to be the kind of skipper that, you know, is Captain Bly. I mean, I, do, I 
I've, I've met a few of those in my time, and I, God, I'd be horrified if anybody thought, you know, that I was like that. But your your decisions that you're taking are for the best interest of the whole crew, uh, uh, not against any one particular th- you know person, and and you just have to do, you just have to do what's right and safe for the boat, don't you? Which many say that's what Bly was doing. Of course, uh, he just didn't. He wasn't a particularly good man manager. I don't think. Mm. <laughs> well, they, it depends you know, who you they, believe, Bly or the other guy, that, Christian. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I, I like to think of a boat as being sort of a pressure cooker for emotions. And so oh, if people good. have emotions or difficulties, then put them in that sort of a close contact environment that can be stressful. Not always, but sometimes then it, it can really be like a recipe for disaster. And I've seen so many couples you know husband wife teams because that's what's typically are out there cruising or kind of husband wife or boyfriend girlfriend teams that think mm. that okay we're going to have all this time it's going to be amazing we have issues in our relationship but this is going to smooth them out and it ends up kind of exacerbating the issues but brad do you mean they've gone to see you think they've gone to see to um improve their relationship <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> yes, and uh, and the lumpy road that they're relation. You know, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Well, I'm saying like if, <laughs> oh, God. I'll put it, if you have a pressure cooker and you put in bad ingredients, it's going to turn out like a disaster. If you put in good ingredients, you're going to get a delicious meal out of it. So um, yeah, yeah. No, so it's a case. Of, it's a case of till till Delos do us part. <laughs> God, here we go. Yeah. You haven't experienced Dick's dreadful puns. <laughs> Sorry about that. You can, it'll be edited out later. You're fine. <laughs> I'm wondering though, on on that, when you talk about that, the pressure cooker thing, it's a really good uh, metaphor to use. But I'm wondering if it works ever the other way when you've perhaps had a tough passage, and somebody, a new crew member, has been fine, has you know stepped up to the ropes and all the rest of it, and and stood his watch or her watch, and then <laughs> and has got ashore, and is so relieved to be back on terra firma, has gone kind of mad then. Well, I've, I've seen people completely morphed and changed for the better. Um, really? One, mm. one crew in particular that met us in South Africa and we were sailing to Brazil. Uh, uh, she, there, there was a point where we sat down and said, hey, you know, I, I know you're not happy. There's some stuff going on in your head where it's going to be a total of two months by the time you figure our stops in St. Helena and Ascension Island before we get to Brazil. Like, are you up for this task? Because there's there's no airport there. There's no flying out. And she said, yes, mm. I'm up for it. And she turned out to be spectacular. Uh, just really? a, a complete joy to sail with and, and really evolved as a person mm. and a sailor. And so, you know, it, it, it can go mm. both ways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you d- well, I, def- I, I definitely, you know, I've experienced people going uh, in both directions. I've seen, you know, People that I thought might be a weak link and were meek and mild uh, step forward and and turn themselves into the best crew you could possibly have. The you know step forward guy that's always going to be reliable. And I've seen big tough guys that I was absolutely sure were going to be really great crew crumble into you know um, almost babies. And I think. That's a difficult. That's the that's the psychology of the sea enacting its spell on people and making them perhaps face themselves. You know, I, I this thing about the midnight confessional, but also leads on to, I think, uh, the time at the helm at night on your own is wonderful for the soul. And it gives you an opportunity that you, I think you've rarely got in life to really look inside yourself and just decide whether the things that you've always done have been the best things and the done for the right, uh, the right reasons. And, you know, I think, uh, I don't know about you, uh, Brian, but I, have, I don't think I've ever done a sea crossing, even a short one, without playing Crosby, Stills, Nash, and you know, uh, the Southern well, Cross. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. it's like sometimes I, I think that being on night watch and hand steering is it's almost like a form of meditation. I mean, it can be very, very yeah, therapeutic. I do. Yeah. 
I was just going to say that, that both of you seem to have had this similar experience that when the going is tough, if if the weather is heavy and there's things to think about, all the crew are engaged with that. But once that's off, if it's a calm night, there's uh, you know the heavens are ablaze with stars, it's a lovely, beautiful night. That, that that's when people come out of themselves. They want to confess. I, I'm wondering if either of you think that that's because. <laughs> Uh, they're relieved to have survived that uh, heavy weather, and all of a sudden, you know, yeah. it, mm. it's it, it's the bad stuff's over for now. I don't know. Well, there's definitely the bonding experience that comes in groups of people after intense moments when you know when you survive something right. or you pull mm. together. It brings everybody together, and it, it raises endorphin levels, and people become good friends, and you make lifelong friendships doing this, right? I mean, I. Yes. I still talk to the yes. people I did my first sale with. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I remember before I left Seattle, very nervous. I uh, wanted to have a, a really solid medical kit on board. And so I visited a, a marine physician. And one of the things that he prescribed for the medical kit was diazepam. And I'm like, well, you know, what is that? And he's like, well, it's it's generic value. And he's like, this is something that I always recommend people to come on board because you know, what if you're out there and somebody literally freaks out? Uh, this is this is something that could actually really help take away their anxiety, their tension and calm them down and maybe avoid, you know, a situation before they hurt themselves or, or somebody else on the boat. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I was really confused. But now after that, I see how how that could be helpful to, to have those as a, well. like a last resort. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, ooh, I, yeah, I, I'd never even considered that. I mean, I've, <laughs> back to, you know, finding out about people and their inner soul and that they, as you just said earlier, they can't, there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to hide. Uh, unfortunately, I've on several occasions got talking to people on this midnight confessional and, and they've said to me, well, you know, of course I've been on, uh, diazepam for 15 years or a Mogadon or some other and I've gone oh really ah that probably equates to, <laughs> to the reasons that you're not really firing on all cylinders and uh, yeah I mean I've, I've had that but to to kind of impose as a fan on somebody, uh, yeah, I don't know how I'd get on with that one, uh, Brian. <laughs> but I can understand. I can really understand. Yeah, I tell you what, is it funny thing then? Isn't it true? It seems to be true that after you've gone and done a hard sail, a long crossing, or a hard, even relatively short crossing, and as you say, there is nothing more bonding than a team of guys and girls. Team doesn't matter. All girls, all guys a mixed team, there's no, nothing more bonding than actually depending and having to depend on each member of the crew to get you through. And I think that is a fantastic thing. But I also think that it, it's occurred to me as you were saying that, that um, when you've done a passage, you either become lifetime friends of the people you've done it with or you never want to see them again. Or you never want to get on a boat again. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, no, you never want to. I've had a few, definitely a few. I just thought, oh, that's, yeah, I can go another five years without seeing that guy again. It's well, just I, driven me up the bloody like, wall. We've had like, I think I've last time I counted, it was over 50 some odd people sail with us from probably 12 different countries at this point. And I can say that realistically, the times we've had problems, I can probably count them on the fingers of one hand. Probably on two fingers. Yeah. And I've already talked about both the stories. And so, you know, most of the, I'd say 90 plus percent of everything has, has, has been really, really good bonding experiences. Are you able to transport that ashore, Brian? I mean, after having 50 people sail with you long distance, which is quite something, uh, could you now sit in a, in a bar on a dockside and look at somebody and say, yeah, they're all right, they're not all right, or does it not work like that? It has to be at sea before you really know what they're like. Oh, I don't know. You'd have to ask me after you get a couple shots of rum in me. <laughs> and, and, All right. And well, then the same. No, well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll answer for me, no. Okay. No. You, yeah, it's, you can't tell. You can't tell. Um, it's why I was saying, Dick, you know, the, 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 the meek and mild suddenly step forward and become, you know, 
your best embodiment of a crew member and other people, sort you know, just fall mount, apart. And becomes a mouse. <laughs> well, they do. They, yeah. they unfortunately do. And uh, so I, I'd, no. <laughs> I think, yeah, I'd, I must confess, I mostly sail now with friends. I quite rarely sail um, with, or am family. I quite rarely uh, sail with what amounts to strangers. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I have, I've, I mean, the worst thing that, the worst one I had was, unfortunately, I had a couple of guys, a guy and a girl that um, were going to come and crew with us uh, on uh, on another trip, actually. From New Zealand, uh, that trip was from New Zealand to Oz, and um, you know we went to a barbecue at their house, and it was great. And you know they've been together for two years or three years or something, and um, and they wound up splitting up uh, a fortnight before we were due to leave. And the guy phoned me up and he said, "Look, you know I'm ever so sorry about this, um, but um, X." Uh, and I have split up and, uh, you know, um, but I don't want you to hold that against her. And, uh, you know, we're, you know, we, we might be okay to come as individuals. And I said, no, that's not going to work. No, 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 don't, don't want to do that. Uh, sorry. And all that. He said, well, look, she, she's sailing from New Zealand back to, um, she, her plan was to sail back from New Zealand to Oz, particularly because she wanted to see her father, and she hasn't seen her father for quite some time. I think it was a pretty cheap flight, but anyway, I stood for the story. And she's a great cook, and um, you know I'll bow out and and let her go if if you're not happy for us both to go. And I agreed, um, and. Uh, that and she was quite a pretty girl, and that caused a dynamic within the crew that um, was not good. It wasn't good for the crew. Not the girls' fault, I might add, uh, in that particular case, but actually the guys' fault because everybody was, you know, the great pretender um, and wanted to try and impress this particular girl, and you know, blah blah blah. But she was then, and they were not then reacting and sharing out the normal share and, and chores and, you know, like, you know, if she was being asked to go and do something in particular, might have been, you know, cook a, cook a sandwich, right? Might have been to cook a meal or do something or haul a, a, a sail. And, you know, you'd have two guys trying to kind of push her out the way, say, no, no, I'll, I'll do it for you. Don't worry about it. And it caused huge problems um, for her. And I really had to sit down. Uh, obviously, I had a crew, of, uh, a crew of five, including myself and her. And I had to say to the three guys, guys, this is not working. You've got to stop doing this. Uh, it's a real, real imposition you're putting on. Oh, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just being friendly. No, no, they weren't just being friendly. And it was quite obvious they weren't just being friendly to me. Um, and... Uh, and it didn't get better, really. There was an atmosphere. I bet you've had those, Brian, at some time. If you've seen any of our videos, but uh, uh, there was, <laughs> there's, there's been a few instances where, you know, we, we get uh, a, a group of people together and, I mean, things, it's a very romantic environment and you, you tend to spend a lot of, time together with very little distraction and people get together they couple up um you know most of that stuff really doesn't affect how we kind of operate the boat and i think a lot of people tend to blow those things kind of out of proportion like they see a a group of men and women sailing around and they they just assume that oh you know you guys must be having a bunch of orgies on board or something like that and you know we're like well no and well that girl's topless over there well i mean who cares she's like my my sister honestly like it doesn't even register that that would be kind of a weird I'll, thing i'll, can I'll cancel something. my booking now if it's not the case <laughs> <laughs>
Sorry, carry on. Uh, no, it's okay. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I we've we've actually never been in in sort of that that situation that that you just discussed. I and I I don't know why. Um, I think my some of it might have been because uh, myself and my brother Brady and my wife Karen we we've all sailed together for so long. When new people join the boat, they it's not like there's me as the skipper and then a bunch of new crew joining. It's like, this is the established crew. These are the yeah. rules. And now you deal with that. Uh, and we've, we've always had a set kind of regiment for everybody. So, you know, everybody has a cleaning schedule. There's no doubts about what you're supposed to clean and when you're supposed to do it. Mm. Everybody does it, including myself. We have a cooking schedule. So, you know, it's listed by day. When you cook, you cook lunch and you cook dinner, you clean the dishes, you clean the galley and that's it. So, and everybody does it. So there's no ambiguity or kind of like wondering, is this my job? Should I do this? Uh, and we, we did that after, you know, learning that the first, the first couple of years and being like, well, if we're going to do this and, and Karen being Swedish, she, she loves to write lists and schedules and, you know, that's, that's she's very organized, which which I am that, not. And that's so being that's she, being listist, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian, just interrupt you as you go through those those points. I'm very interested, and I very much believe in um, uh, distributing the duties on board. Um, but distributing the duties on board for cooking, um, I've experienced some pretty horrendous ones there and i've sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> decided i'll give up and cook myself i, I do wind up most of the time but <laughs> it seems cook myself i'll uh, just give you a quick a quick anecdote on that i have a particularly good friend and he i will mention his name um because uh, yeah he knows he's useless uh his name is simon he's a very great friend he's the funniest guy you could ever spend any time with but he is utterly completely useless and uh, he sat with me on several occasions and he was always trying to help and by it trying to help obviously uh, made things mostly much worse and on one particular occasion he said look Dick, he said uh, look every time we go on a trip you, you know you you do the cooking and I've been doing a bit of, uh, I've been learning stuff I said oh yeah bro uh, oh yeah Simon okay great um, he said yeah yeah he said um I'm going to do a, a spaghetti bolognese. I know exactly how to do it. I'm going to do a spaghetti bolognese. Let me do it. Let me do it. So I said, all right. And what he actually did is he tipped all this gear into the saucepan, which was two, believe it or not, and, and we were four-handed. It was two two kilos of mince. It was all of the mince <laughs> for the whole trip. God. Put the whole put the whole lot in this giant in this giant pot. Put the mince in first. Didn't put any onions in. They went in second, <laughs> and then turned the gas up. Oh, turned the electric up. We don't have gas. Turned the electric up, and uh, um, added the <laughs> tomatoes and added the ingredients, and then brought this up. Very proud of this. I thought, you know what? It's, that, there's a bloody funny smell around here. It's oh. Burning. It's got to be burning. But I was looking in at the top of the pot, and just keep my eye on it. He served it up, the the bottom one and a half inches was complete charcoal. Yeah. The pan was ruined and could never be used again. And, I, you know, I just, giving everybody, giving everybody cooking duties has got to lead to some, you must have had some laughs with that one. Yeah, I mean, God, the first one that comes to mind is we had, and I'm going to mention their names because they'll they'll get a kick out of it. These two German guys we'd never met before, Jens and Uli, they were two brothers, maybe about two years apart. They still live with their parents in Germany, so they had never cooked. And so they flew into Madagascar and met us, and we were sailing to to Durban, South Africa. And we're like, okay, here's your cooking day. And he's like, well, I... I cannot cook. I, I've never cooked before. My my mom cooks for us. I'm like, well, you're 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 gonna learn. Uh, and we ended up having pretty much raw spaghetti noodles with ketchup that night. Um, it was 
It was. Oh. It wasn't nice. Yeah, it was I mean, that's, terrible. It, that's it. Yeah. yeah uh, that's it. But did he learn? You know, some some people some people did have managed to get through to the. Did some Good. some people have managed to get through to the age of. It seems forty or fifty, and they they don't even know how to cook an egg. Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't it's, understand. It's baffling. But by the, by, <laughs> by the end gross. of the trip, by the end of the trip, he uh, it, it took about two weeks, and we kept on him, and he actually he actually whipped up a couple of fairly decent noodle dishes, and so it's like here's oh, a cookbook. Yeah, there you, go. You, you can follow directions. <laughs> follow these directions. Do what it says here, and you'll be fine. That was absolutely great, eh? And uh, Brian's brought uh, to the table some very interesting uh, incidents that's, that's happened to him. As as you've heard from me, Dick, uh, I've had one or two big eye-openers as I've sailed across the ocean. Yes. Um, it's great to have him on, and uh, especially you know, with all his experience. And, uh, yeah, as you said uh, before we started, he's had 50 crew uh, uh, go through his, go over his decks um and uh yeah he's he's had quite a lot of uh, very strange experiences that not unbelievable no, to me no, at all either no. because you, you he i tell you what i really enjoyed he coined the phrase um it's like a pressure cooker because yeah. he's exactly right you yes. know once things start to go a little bit wrong or people start to come really under pressure you know the the phrase is right sorts the men out for yes. the boys. Um, yeah, so it was great talking. I mean, to in him. a funny way, the the sort of psychology of crew and sailors is is bears out that old that old saw that the the boat will always get you there, but can you handle it? Can the crew handle it? Uh, and there's a lot a lot of truth in that. Although, of course, some of the boats we've been discussing over the years won't get you there. <laughs> a Kraken will. Well, yeah, you're gonna you're mm. gonna head back into the discussion yes. and uh, debate that I've been kind of trying to have with uh, uh, this guy, Andy Shell, whose position is that, well, yeah, it's just, you know, you can sail across the ocean in any boat. Yes. Um, I don't believe that. I think that's radically wrong and radically well, dangerous. I agree with you. Um, <clears throat> and I've asked him to come on this podcast, Dick, but no. he hasn't uh, stuck his head above the parapet. But but that's, that's the same story that you're talking yeah. about there. You know, you, you know, the boats up to it are the yeah. crew. Just so the gauntlet from Andy Shell remains firmly on the ground, does it still, Dick? Yeah, yeah, he hasn't picked it up. Oh well, maybe he will. It'd be nice to talk to him because I'd, you know, I'd love to hear his, his view and why he so stridently believes it. So, but anyway, we shall see. Uh, well, I was going to ask you, Dick, actually, about um, as we're actually on talking about the podcast at the moment, <clears throat> but also to some extent the magazine as well, Ocean Sailor Magazine. Um, I keep stumbling across this thing, Patreon. Uh, and I don't know all that much about it, but I think you know you've looked into this a bit, haven't you, Dick? Patreon. Well, recently, I, I tell you, <laughs> very funny you should mention that because we've recently had quite a lot of uh, emails into Ocean Sailor and actually uh, on on re- referencing the podcast, saying that they that people would like to you know feel that they'd like to contribute in some all way. Right. Um, uh, but they like my bank account Fine. details. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, that go across <laughs> pretty quick. Um, and it, this is all a bit of a mystery thing to me, and uh, so I don't really understand it. Uh, as it happens, coming back to uh, Brian and Delos at the moment, um, they also have uh, a Patreon. I mean, they've got seven hundred and seventy thousand subscribers, and I think they've got uh, you know quite a lot of people that. You know, see that they're getting value from uh, their experience of watching uh, the Delos YouTube channel and everything else that Brian has done, uh, and feel that it's right to contribute. And I, Ocean Sailor is becoming a bigger and bigger um, magazine. We 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 have nearly ten thousand subscribers now, um, and that sounds small by comparison to a YouTube channel. But I mean that. That 10,000 subscribers, by the way, Dickie, probably means that when you consider, um, they don't use the word subscribers. Uh, uh, there's a different word that they use to, a readership. Okay. M- means, you know, you'd Sounds you'd like a weasel word to me. Well, I think <laughs> it is a weasel word because I, when you ask for a magazine, so you'll know this from Yachting Monthly or Yachting World or my classic yeah. boat, 
when you ask for a, um, a, a, a circulation, they give you a figure that um, expects or anticipates that 2.5 people look at every copy that's, that's right. published. That's it right, is right. Isn't yeah, it? Something it is like definitely that. right, yeah. So, you know, off, I, you know, obviously people can share the, uh, the, the you know, the uh, Ocean Sailor a magazine when it's downloaded. And a lot of people are looking at it uh, on on our website without actually subscribing. Right. Um, but it does, you, I don't know if you appreciate this really, but we are now one of the biggest yachting magazines in the world in terms of uh, readership. So we, we've done quite a good thing. And, and obviously people are enjoying it. We get a lot of very positive comments. And we are going to have a little look, and I'm going to have a little bit of a think about the whole Patreon thing. You know, I don't want to certainly, you know, it's a free magazine and it can stay a free magazine. But um, yeah, I, people I do. Wanna, I have to uh, say, I, do, I find good. it astonishing that the, 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 the whole concept of Patreon, the idea <laughs> that somebody who's got something for nothing is then going to sort of go to church and go to the confession box and say, oh, look, I read this magazine for nothing. Um, I, I must confess. And say, well, the poor box is over there. Stick a, go and stick a penny in it. I mean, I, I just don't believe it would work. But, of course, it does work. Maybe I'm just an old cynic. Yeah, it's caught me by surprise, yeah. Dick. I'm in the same camp yeah. as you. Like, oh, yeah, who's going to do that? But if, you, if people are getting what they consider good, you know, good entertainment, good information, yeah. um, you can see it. I, I, we all we all kind of think that, really, don't we? we we'll have a look at it. I haven't made uh, my mind up um, what to do, but I've I've had a lot of people, not one or two either, no. um, say, "Oh, look, you know, we'd like to uh, feel we would like to uh, contribute." So, I suppose yeah, it's, I suppose it's a bit it. like uh, when I was a kid, you'd always try and seek out a boy in an anchorage somewhere and pick it up and buzz off in the morning before we had to pay for it. And now, when I look back, <laughs> I said to myself, "Well." I've done that for so many years as a kid when I was penniless that I feel obliged to pay and quite happy to pay now because I feel I'm paying back for all those times when I swung round the boy for nothing. So fair enough. So anyway, Ocean Sailor latest magazine, that's the February issue has just gone out. And I quite, in, I must admit, I quite enjoyed compiling some of the uh, material for that. Um, and you've had a chance to look at it, Dick, I think. And what, what did, you, did you take from it? Yeah, Dick, you know, I mean, your article on the Montgomery uh, it was fascinating, and and it you know as I sit here uh, doing this podcast, I'm directly in line for the tsunami wave uh, that would be caused by the Montgomery if if it blew. I'll be the first one on the surfboard. I think. <laughs> I I mean I I'm li- literally it's straight out in the tent yeah. from where I'm sitting now in, in my old cottage, um uh, down in Old Lee, and uh, you know. Uh, that whole story, it's been there all through my childhood yes. as well. Everybody's known about the Montgomery and if it blew, it was going to, uh, it, it was going to wipe out Canvey and it was going to cause this, you know, go all the way up to the Thames and everything else. Cause they've got the Thames barrier now to stop yes. uh, that kind of, I don't know if that was a factor, but it's a, so they're going to try and now um, sort it out and stabilise yeah, it. It's a pretty good is, thing. It hey? is a good thing. Yeah, a fascinating, great yeah, story. Yeah, no, well, well no, it. it is interesting because the new part of it being that the Royal Navy will be there this summer with these uh, overseeing the um, construction of more or less a kind of an oil rig over the masts and then they're going to take the masts off, cut them away. I tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I want some serious money to be to be working that crane. Well, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, Dick. If you can, if you, via your investigations, you can find out when that whole thing goes in position, because I think that would be a good time for me to bugger to off to Turkey. <laughs> well, I give you an early. <laughs> I could give you an early steer. It's looking like June. Yeah. Oh, is it? All oh, right. Okay. Blimey, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah and there's some other really, uh, some other, um, you know, really good articles in there, and we got a lot lined up. So hopefully, everybody, we've had some really. Very early, good feedback uh, on this good. month's uh, no, Ocean Sailor. Well, so, and lots of, we, I tell you what, we're getting, which is great now. We get lots of questions coming in and lots of people saying, can we explain this, that, right. or the other? Oh, that's good. So, um, the section that, uh, you know, uh, we, we call Ahoy yes. uh, was just one or two, um, like, fairly lightweight questions. 
But now people are asking some really in-depth, interesting questions. So, and, and that's great because that's what we want. You know, we don't know everything uh, about everything, but we can generally find exactly. out if we don't know it ourselves. Yeah, we, you know, can, and that's we great, know who to yeah. go to to get the information. So that's good news. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've got a good network. Yeah, brilliant. Also in the magazine, of course, I know it might seem a bit strange that we've gone and covered the uh, the, the Donald Crowhurst story, a man who's, of course, no long, long been dead, lost at sea. But it is the 90th anniversary of Donald Crowhurst's birth. And it's a story that resonates with me because I interviewed his son on one of the anniversaries. I've forgotten which one now. But it's, oh, yeah. Uh, and it's a story that, that, that just comes down through the years. Uh, it is endless ceaselessly fascinating for so for those who don't know it i hope they do um enjoy reading about it but for those who do um we've also in the mariner's library talked about certainly one of the best books i've ever read whether about the sea or anything else and that's the strange voyage of of donald crowhurst by the two sunday times reporters uh and we've talked about the films that are available as well the pathé news one in particular i think is better than the hollywood version but anyway, all in there for, for those to Yeah, to well, see. Dick, I mean, how very uh, poignant that we're talking about uh, Donald Crowhurst now after just recording uh, a podcast with Brian based on the psychology of ocean Indeed. sailing. <laughs> it's exactly, that's it, yeah. you know. I mean, and of course, we haven't even slightly gone into the psychology of sailing alone. No, very that's true. Another, Absolutely, that's another complete chapter. We have to try and get uh, somebody on very good. that 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 can expand well, on that. Uh, one. Yes, Roy, of course, uh, is has done plenty of that. Has got quite a lot to say about it. Roy Hart, who I know quite well, I've done a little bit, but nothing, no, no great long. I've crossed, yeah, me too. I don't. I've crossed the North I don't Sea, prefer but it. some people like yeah. it. I, but I personally, I, I you know, I have done quite a bit of single handed, yeah. but uh, I. Spending the whole time continuously tired don't no, really no, work for no, me. No, no, quite right. Anyway. I understand that. No, I haven't been any great distance, but I've certainly crossed the North Sea on my own and done a bit in the Channel and stuff, but and the estuary. But uh, no, it's the whole point is to be out there with somebody whose company you enjoy, uh, and and uh, yeah, and share it really, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's how yeah. I see it as well, Dick. So yeah, okay. Good. Well, I guess that's all from me. Well, um, I, one thing that I wanted to say was that there's some uh, recent uh, information. New, a new theory has come in about the. You know, we all know the story of the Mary Celeste, the ship found sailing with a crew of oh, yeah. ship. Well, some new information apparently. Is, I, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but I saw it. <laughs> Where are we going? Well, with apparently this there, <laughs> the, the latest theory is there was a an outbreak of a coronavirus. Uh, meaning that the on on board ship, so the the whole crew had to self isolate in the longboat, uh, and the novice uh, cabin boy couldn't tie bowling. Oh I thought you'd like that one. Yeah, yeah, very good, Dick. Yeah, okay. Anyway, before we close down, having uh, stunned you all with my Mary Celeste story, which I don't want cut, thank you very much, Mr. Producer Man. Um, we, <laughs> we have heard from Adam and Chiara, who uh, our listeners will know have been on here before, uh, the lively young couple uh, of Millennial Falcon, uh, uh, and they've come on to say to tell us where they're going next. So I'm looking forward to finding out. Yeah, I'm, I, that's... Uh... That's another little uh, extra that uh, the listeners are going to yeah. have because uh, very kindly have uh, have sent us in uh, a little update, um, of, you know, by, to go on the podcast. So uh, that'll be interesting. They're a lovely couple and I do yeah, wish them right. well. Hello, guys, and thank you for very much for having us again. Yeah, thank you for having us, guys. That was a really fun chat, and it's always a pleasure to, yeah. to talk about boats, especially with you, Dick, because I know how passionate you are about it. Uh, I know that we recorded that podcast um, a little while ago now, so I just thought that we would give a, a bit of an update as to what we're doing now or what, what we've been doing since we recorded the podcast and what our plans are. Um, well, I think in the podcast we mentioned that we were going to cross back uh, east to west across the Atlantic, and we are now strategically placed for said crossing. We uh, went from the Azores to Canaries, where we've been for the last month and a bit, month and a half, and tomorrow we plan to uh, cross backwards again to the Caribbean. Yeah, closing the loop on our first Atlantic circuit, um, what I hope will be the first in many, and uh, and feeling good, feeling ready. We've been yeah. just preparing the boat, and uh, you know, this is 
probably our first and long. This is definitely our longest leg. It's gonna be 2,800 miles, and um, and probably our longest downwind leg in the trades. And definitely the first time and the longest that we've sailed west. I know. <laughs> I believe that four years is the first time we're going west. <laughs> I don't think we've ever done that. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. So thanks so much again, guys. And um, it's always a pleasure. And we will see you on the other side. <laughs>